All right, well, speaking of the new year, it is uh, 2022, and uh, I, think, uh, uh, I think Jennifer Hughes, I saw a, a, a meme that she posted on Facebook a while back. Now you're nervous. You're like, oh, no, what is it? And, uh, and it, it said something to the effect of when you find out 2022 is pronounced 2020 T-O-O, <laughs> two. <laughs> Does make, come on, you. All right, if I had it, it'd make more sense. It's hard to, the visual of it is, it's like, it's like 2020 all over again. Okay, all right. Whew, I should have just, I should have just found the meme. All right. There's no doubt that the last couple of years have been uh, interesting, to say the least. Unprecedented. Uh, we, we've experienced, uh, so, gosh, so many things. Um, Political tensions, right? Yeah, lots of political tensions. We had even a uh, presidential election that was maybe even controversial. Uh, we've had a pandemic, which has also brought on a lot of different controversy and tensions. Um, there's been a lot of racial tensions in our country in the last couple years. Some would, even, some would maybe even say the last year or two have been one of the worst years of my life. Or you would say it's certainly maybe one of the worst years in the history of our country during your lifetime. Well, there's, there's, there's obviously no, no uh, we're not short of content that could be said about the last two years and how they have been quite different, quite challenging, maybe even the worst. But for the next five Sundays, I'm going to tell you how you can have the worst year ever. That, that if you do these things, I promise you, it will make 2022 a breeze if you do these things. So if you want to have the worst year ever, the first thing that you should do is that you should be a complainer. If you want to ruin your year, if you want to ruin your life, be a complainer. Complaining people just can never seem to be happy. Complaining people seem to find something wrong with everything and everyone. I would tell you that complaining people are, are critical Complaining people victimize themselves. They always see the, the glass half empty or completely empty. Uh, they're just completely dissatisfied with life. Here, here's what complaining is. Complaining is expressing dissatisfaction or annoyance. They're annoyed everywhere they go. They're annoyed at the grocery store. They're annoyed at the, the next driver. They're annoyed at the, the drive-thru. They're annoyed at this. They're always dissatisfied. So if you want to be completely dissatisfied and have the worst year, just be a complainer. Be a complainer. Because it is easy to be a critic. Being a critic is one of the easiest things someone can do. Because critics don't have to fix anything. They just have to find faults with everything. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't believe sometimes the kind of criticism that pastors get. And it's like, 
Yeah, put your whole life on display. All right? Critics. It's easy to do. There was a, uh, this important group of people in the Bible that God had set apart for himself. They were called the, the Israelites, the, the Hebrew people. They were set apart for God himself. He had called them out, and from this people would, would, would come the great Savior of the world. But man, were they the worst. These people knew the art of complaining. Now God had brought up these people, and through a series of circumstances throughout the book of Genesis, they ended up in Egypt, which at first was a salvation to them during a time of famine, if, you, if you're familiar with the story. But if you're not familiar with the story, that's okay. But what happened was they ended up becoming so prosperous and so numerous as a, as a people group that Egypt decided to oppress them and force them into hard labor and into slavery. When they were in slavery, they were treated as though they were property. And Egyptians could take your wife and do what they pleased. They would, they would, they would kill your family members for disobedience. I mean, this, these were harsh conditions. They were inhumane, and they just, just broke the heart of God. And so then, through a series of ten plagues, God gave warnings to the Pharaoh, think of him as the king of Egypt, to let his people go. And if you're familiar with those ten plagues and all the things that took place, then you're familiar with that Moses was kind of the guy that was leading that and saying, Pharaoh, you better let God's people go. And then these ten plagues happen. And then eventually Pharaoh decides to let all the Israelite people go, and off they go. As soon as he lets them go, he realizes the economy is going to crash. These people did all of our work. And so he sent out his army to go get them back. So the Israelite people, they're, they're on the run, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them on the run, and then they come to an obstacle that, where they were surely trapped, the Red Sea. There's, they can't go back, the army's coming, they can't move forward, there is a physical obstacle. And they reach a point in time where they need an intervention from only God himself. And if you, I'm sure you're familiar with this story. God splits the Red Sea. The Israelites cross on dry ground. And as soon as they all cross, the army of, of Egypt is chasing after them, and then the sea closes back up over their enemies. And now for the next 40 years, they begin to wander the desert as God is leading them to this promised land. Now through this time, God provides for these people a pillar of fire that leads them by night, a pillar of smoke that leads them by day. And then the people begin to complain to Moses. They begin to say, did you, did you bring us out to this desert to die? At least in Egypt, we were living. At least in Egypt, we had food and water. You lousy leader, Moses, you. And Moses goes to God, and he's like, God, why did you give me these people? And so God performs a miracle. 
and he hears the cry of Moses, and he provides for them each day. God says, every morning, like dew on the ground, there will, there will be uh, this substance that, that comes every morning, and they called it manna. It was like a coriander seed that every day they could go gather however much their family needed for that day. Nothing more and nothing less. And every day they would have what they needed to feed their family. It was a miracle. And then they began to complain. Moses, if only we were back in Really? Egypt. Where you were treated like property? That place? Yeah, because it had water. And so God is annoyed. And, he, and so God, through his, this, this other miracle, brings water from a rock. That's pretty awesome. They continue to wander. They continue to complain. And now we arrive at Numbers chapter 11, Verse 1, here's what it says. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. I find a couple things interesting in this passage. It says that they complained about their hardships and it angered God. As though hardships um, to the Lord, he's never surprised that we face hardships. But it was when they complained about their hardships that got God's attention. We will face hardships. We will face trials of many kinds. But it was when they complained about hard things, hardships, that God said, no, I ought to. The people that God rescued from Egypt, that horrible, evil place, and he split the Red Sea. He provided a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of smoke by day. God miraculously is having manna show up every morning to feed these hundreds of thousands of people, and he's providing water from the most unlikely source, a rock. And they're complaining it's like a child complaining on Christmas morning. The anger of the Lord was aroused. Here's what I think that we can get from this, is we all face hardships. And it never seems to surprise God. It's perfectly acceptable to have hardships. Did you know that? It's acceptable to face hardships. But complaining... It hits God differently. It is unacceptable. Hardships do not justify complaint. I think hardships should drive us further into our relationship with God. James 1, it tells us, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. I go, what? Pure, pure joy? Yeah, yeah, because 
it produces perseverance in your life. And when perseverance has done its work, you're for the wiser. How many of us have said, God, give me wisdom? Give me wisdom. Give me patience. Give me strength. Sometimes it's the product of hardship. So so these, these people, each morning, are experiencing a miracle of God. Every morning, when they wake up, they don't, other than that manna, they don't know where they're going to get their next meal. But every morning, they wake up to God's faithfulness. A miracle of manna. The thing is about manna, though, is that manna was hard work. You couldn't just eat it. You had to process it. So they would gather manna. The Bible says it was a type of coriander seed. So they would have to grind it, maybe knead it, and then bake it. It was a process. Sometimes a miracle is a process. Sometimes God provides the miracle, but you provide the labor. And they got tired of the labor, and they missed the miracle. Maybe God's greatest miracle in your life is what you have to labor for. Maybe God's miracle that you get to wake up to every day is the job you get to go to. Maybe the miracle that God has provided in your life is the spouse that God gave you. He provided the miracle of your spouse, but it takes labor, doesn't it? God provided you the miracle of your children, but it ain't easy. And so they began to complain again. Actually, Numbers 11, it's not on the screen. Numbers 11.6 says, but now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this stinking manna. I put that in there. It says that they lost their appetite and all they saw was manna. I'm so, I'm so bored with manna. I'm bored with this relationship. I'm, I'm tired of having to work every day on this provided miracle. Don't forget, this is what we can learn from this, that your manna is your miracle. And sometimes our manna is the blessing that we get have a job, that we have a family, that we have friendships, that we have a church. And though it's hard work, don't forget that it's your miracle. But they continue to complain. They lost their appetite for manna. And they tr- began to complain. Numbers, uh, the ne- next verse, Numbers 11.10. So Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents. How annoying would that be? (laughs) 
the Lord became exceedingly what? Angry. Why? Because they're complaining. And Moses was troubled. He asked, why? Why? Why have you brought these people? Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done, God, to displease you that you would put me, put the burden of these people on me? This is a pastor's prayer. Yeah. Okay. God, did I conceive these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I? Did I do that? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms like a nurse carries an infant? To the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? You see, here is the issue. They lost their appetite for manna. They all began to cry and complain to Moses, saying, if we only had meat to eat, then we'd be happy. And then they begin to manipulate. Back in Egypt we ate meat. Why don't we just go back there? They treated us better. My last boyfriend did it better. Your last boyfriend cheated on you. What are you talking about? <laughs> My last job wouldn't do that. Your last job fired you, okay? <laughs> like, if only we could go back to Egypt. We had fish, we had onions, we had cucumbers. Oh, it was delicious if we just had meat. And Moses, Moses is like, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slap a child if you don't help me here. <laughs> Where can I get meat for all these people? Hundreds of thousands of people, they keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. Give us meat to eat. And he says, I cannot carry all these people by myself. A bunch of babies. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me. Now, now Moses is turning it on God. Okay, God, if this is how you're going to treat me, kill me. A pastor's prayer. If I have found favor in your eyes and, and do not let me face my own ruin. <laughs> Listen to the Lord's response. The Lord answers Moses, hey, is the Lord's arm too short? That was God says, am I not able? Mos- Moses, come on. Egypt, the Red Sea. Did you get manna this morning, by the way? Did that happen? Oh, it did. Hmm. What about the water from the rock, Moses? Is the arm of the Lord too short? New life, no matter your hardship. Is the arm of the Lord too short? The next verse. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits deep all around the camp and as far as a day's walk in any direction. (laughs) 
I feel like God's proving a point here. Oh, you want meat? You want meat, do you? You don't think I can do it? Hey, he doesn't, they don't think I can do it. Hey, angels, they don't think I can do it. Watch this. Can you imagine after a few days, the smell, the disease? That's exactly what happens. The next verse says, in 33 says, but while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. I feel like it's safe to assume that with the arrival of all this meat, even then, the people did not give thanks. And therefore, the place was called Kibroth Hatava, because there they buried the people who craved other food. So, the first thing I wanted to tell you this morning is to realize how dangerous complaining can be. How dangerous it can be. Is God not aware of all of our circumstances? He is. Then you can understand how complaining can frustrate him. It's as though we're saying, God, you don't got this. And he's saying, is my arm too short? You see, it says that they buried people that day at Kibroth Hatava who craved other food. And it, cravings in the Bible have, are always symbolic to this, this desire of our flesh, which is symbolic to the desire of sin. We also know that the wages of sin is death. And when our cravings get out of control, sometimes the craving drives the complaint, but it leads to even a, a spiritual death. It, it, it leads to an emptiness, complaining. It's quite dangerous. And really what you should know is that when we complain, we sin. And it angers God. Proverbs 21-23 says, Those who guard their mouths and tongues keep themselves from calamity. Read that again. <laughs> Those who guard their mouths and tongues keep themselves from calamity. So realize how dangerous complaining can be. So if you want to have the worst year ever, be loose with your tongue. Complain all the time. And I guarantee you, you can have the worst year ever. The second thing I want to tell you is, is, to, is, is build your personal contentment to be stronger 
than your cravings. Again, when I'm speaking of cravings, I'm, I'm talking about your, your, the desires of the flesh. And sometimes, some desires are good things. But the desire to have more, if your desire to have cravings for more and it's greater than your contentment, I'm telling you, friend, it's dangerous. And, and, and through my time in ministry, and through the times that I've been out of the country on, on missions work, what I've always found is that someone is happier than you with less than you have. All the time. People are happier than me and have far less than I have. How can that be? Contentment. I find it interesting, and this is not a blanket statement, but sometimes those that have the most complain the most. And sometimes those that have the least complain the least. Why? Because the first become entitled and the latter became appreciative. When you don't have much, you become appreciative of what you have or what you can get. When you have plenty, you can become cursed with the curse of more. The more we have, the more we want. So don't start your year off, new life, with more cravings for more things, more experiences, more attention. Try on contentment. I tell you, it's a one-size-fits-all. You can find contentment. Philippians 4.12, it says, I, Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in, ev- in, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living or in plenty or in want. And it is this, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Build your personal contentment to be stronger than your cravings. This is why for me, church, taking a period of 21 days of prayer and fasting, it helps me. Because it helps me to uh, reduce the cravings of my flesh and put my reliance back on God. It helps me become more appreciative and connected with God in this way. So that my my inner self, my spirit, can be stronger than my cravings. The third thing I, I would tell you is to take responsibility and do something. So if you want to have the worst year ever, just just complain. Or you can take some responsibility and do something about it. How many of us have been guilty of over-complaining and under-planning? Because it's easy to be a critic. It's easy to find fault. That It's easier to do that than it is to help find a solution. One can complain about their finances and not change their spending. One can complain about their health and not change their habits. 
One can complain about their kids, but not have accountability, you see. And here's what I would tell you, is that spending today complaining about yesterday will never change tomorrow. Complaining, spending today, complaining about yesterday will what? Never change tomorrow. It will never make tomorrow better. It will be the absolute same or worse. Take responsibility and do something. I'm sure you're familiar with with this saying that failing to plan is what? Planning to fail. Complaining is not planning. It's just criticizing. I'd also want you to know this, that complaining always finds faults. Wisdom is finding solutions. And so I, I always ask my team, like, if you have feedback for me, if you have a complaint of some kind, then also bring that complaint with possible solutions. Because sometimes if you are a naturally critical person, then maybe God has given you the ability to see things other people don't see and help so that you can help think of solutions that nobody else has. It's just the attitude behind it. If you have criticism of something we do, church, we want to know because we want to do better. We do. But complaining is just all about finding faults. But wisdom is helping find solutions. You see, when the Israelites got hungry, they just complained to Moses. They cried to Moses every time they're hungry. They cried to Moses every time they're thirsty. They cried to Moses everything they, when they got tired. They got complained to Moses when things were hard. They're like, take me back to Egypt, Moses. Take me back. You're like, Egypt. They made their problems Moses' problems. And that's what complainers do. And that's how they ruin their year. When you take your problems by complaining and just make them someone else's problems. They're like, oh, it's the president of the United States ruining my life. It's my boss at work. Oh, they are just ruining my life, I tell you. A complainer makes their problems somebody else's problem to solve, and they're not going to solve it for you. The difference between complaining and seeking help is this. Well, let me say this. I typically know the difference when someone calls me or or isn't sitting in my office with me, and they're either a complainer or they're seeking help. I've come to know that there's a difference. When someone just wants to come and complain about their life, they really don't want to fix it. They want me to fix it. But when someone comes to me and they want help, what they're saying is, give me guidance to know what to do. I can't fix anybody's life. Did you know that? (laughs) No one can fix your life for you. If God could fix our lives for us, we'd all be saved. Everybody would be saved. 
It does take a response, personal responsibility in each individual. So when someone comes to me and they're just complaining, they want me to fix it, but they don't want to do anything. But when someone comes for true help, that's not complaining. They're saying, guide me and show me what I can do. So the difference is that one is just seeking guidance. The other wants someone to fix it for them. And that's the thing about complaining and how it will ruin your year being being a complainer is that you will always be a victim of some problem everywhere you go every boss is going to mistreat you every neighbor is going to be awful every relationship is going to struggle that in every area of your life somebody is the problem but it's not you because no one's going to fix that for you take personal responsibility and do something the fourth thing I'll leave you with is this. Is be a positive person. If you don't want to ruin your year, if you don't want to have the worst year ever, be positive. Here's what I have found, is that positive people always complain less. And I, I, maybe you've worked with someone like this before, or maybe you're this person at work, where people say, man, you never complain about anything. Come on, have you ever met someone like that? You're like, you can have the most sour of circumstances, but you don't seem to complain about anything. <laughs> Something that I share with my kids that I'm gladly going to share with you today is if you can't be positive, at least be quiet. Oh, I'm just a hoot today. <laughs> Philippians 2.14, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. So to help your year, don't grumble. Don't complain. Hardship is, does not justify complaint. God wasn't surprised by the Israelites' hardship. He was caught off guard when they complained. Because honestly, how much has God done for you? I mean, we're sitting in church today. We're worshiping our God freely. We, we're all clothed. We're all going to eat today. We all have a roof over our heads. Regardless of what is hard, and I'm not trying to say things aren't hard. God's not surprised by what's hard. We can still praise him. We can still be positive. I've seen people happier than me living in a shack, one set of clothes, and they have no idea where they're getting their next meal, but I've seen the joy of the Lord on their face, and, and I've seen the joy of the Lord in their hearts, and I'm saying, God, what in the world is wrong with me? So as they travel in the desert and route to the promised land, here's what happens in Numbers 21. But the people grew impatient on the way. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? They spoke against God and against Moses. So we've got church people in the back complaining about the leadership and they're speaking against God. And they said, again, with the manipulation, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Okay, time out. Do you see it? 
I see it. There's no bread, and we hate this food. What food? The manna that you're baking bread with every day? There's no food. There's no water. The water that's coming from the rock every day? Yeah. Yeah, that, there, there isn't any. <laughs> but we also detest it. You see the complaint. It is quite comical. And in their complaint, the anger of the Lord again was aroused. And the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit people, and Israelites died. The story is, this part of the story is actually, it illustrates the bite of sin. That sin bites, and people die. By die of spiritual death, or even of physical death. But the Lord sent these venomous snakes among them. And of course, the people now they run to Moses saying, Moses, 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 we, we really botched this. We, we messed up. We spoke against God and we spoke against you. Would you pray to God to relieve us from these snakes? So Moses goes to the Lord and, and the Lord gave Moses this instruction. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake, put it on a pole. It was a snake made out of bronze, put on a pole, and it says, and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. That kind of sounds like some weird church, doesn't it? Like if you show up to a church and they got bronze snakes on poles, I mean, run, okay? <laughs> run. But this was actually extremely symbolic of something that was to come much, much later that I know you are familiar with. One of the most popular scriptures in all of the Bible is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. But what are the two verses before that verse? Here's what it says. It says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So at this moment... In the wilderness with Moses, God says, make a bronze snake, put it on a pole. Whoever looks upon it will be healed of their snake bites. Centuries, centuries later, Jesus is lifted up on a cross. And all who look upon him and believe in him will not perish, will not die, but will have eternal life. And for the Israelites, their sin was in their complaining. So the remedy for their complaining was a snake. But the remedy for us in all of our sin is Jesus. If you look upon him, you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So if you don't want to have the worst year ever, you have to look upon the one that was raised up on a cross and invite him into your life. Let's all stand today. God, I thank you that even when we are rotten, even when we are act spoiled, entitled, even when we 
make ourselves the victim of everything and everyone and we've, we complain and we moan and we groan and negativity pours out of our life, you still show up. The miracle of manna of our lives still shows up. But if we want out of our misery, God, we have to come to the cross of Jesus. Confess that we have sinned. So God, I, I confess, Lord, for the sin of complaining about my life. Because God, the reality is, what life would I have if it wasn't for you? And regardless of what I think I can make of my life, it would be at the cost of eternity if I didn't have you. So God, I just, I just turned my complaining into gratitude. Lord, I, I now will see my hardships I'll face in 2021 as, as areas by which I can grow. That, that it will be a tool for perseverance because you're making me wiser. You're preparing me. So God, forgive me for my complaints. Help me to see when I'm complaining and help me to see when I need to go ask for help, but knowing that I have responsibility to do something about it. Help us, Lord, in our contentment that we won't follow our cravings with the curse for more, but find ourselves content with the miracle of our manna. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, New Life Church, thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time joining us and you'd like to learn a little bit more about New Life Church, you can text the word CONNECT to the number 765-347-9127. Again, thank you so much for joining us and we hope to see you guys next time.